Hello, 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 and welcome to Tease Me. This is a podcast about the intersection of golf, business, and life. And occasionally we'll drop some gems on networking and just how that makes your life better. Because knowing more than one person is actually a good thing. Hello, Tease Me listeners. Thank you for joining us on another episode. It is June, and by now, I hope that you've picked up the golf club. If you haven't started playing yet and you're trying to learn, now is the perfect time. Go out to the local golf course, ask for a lesson, ask a friend, look out for new and beginner clinics. Get out there. This is the time because once July and August comes, it will be miserable, and I would hate for your first experience on the golf course to be intolerable. Anyway, this is also June, the month we celebrate Juneteenth, which is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery. Its origin is from Galveston, Texas in 1865. And if you don't know a lot about it, I think you should Google it. It is the time and the space that we're in right now where it's time to celebrate some of the historic things that have oppressed people. And getting out into the golf course is a great way to express your freedom. So psh, get out there. Does that sound a little insane? Maybe it does. But think about it. Think about the audacity of what I'm saying. Look at you, black woman, African-American, out here on this golf course just enjoying your best life. The audacity of it. I mean, it is the epitome and the true realization of freedom. And it's leisurely. It's also very relaxing. But if I had to be honest, it is my escape. It is my little oasis, a little bubble that I called myself in for five hours where I can be away from my phone, I can be away from the news, and I can just focus on God's beautiful green earth and the blue sky. And I'm not necessarily focused on what's happening in the world or in America specifically, what is happening with racial inequality, what's happening with civil unrest, what's happening with the wage gap, with the equity gap, with discrimination, with police brutality, you name it. I am escaping from those things when I go onto the golf course. And the fact that I have a choice and the ability to choose to escape, I call that my freedom. So let's move on to today's guest, Jerrica L. Richardson. She is a senior vice president of Equitable Justice and Strategic Initiatives for the National Urban League, and she leads the organization's advocacy, public education, and strategic work on civil engagement, police reform, criminal justice reform, and other justice-related areas. Previously, Ms. Richardson was Deputy Executive Director and the Senior Advisor and Secretary to the Board for the nation's largest independent police oversight agency, the New York City Civilian Complaint Review Board. She has also served as the Chief of Staff in the Office of the Council to the Mayor of New York City and Special Advisor to the Mayor for Media Relations, Criminal Justice, and Public Safety Planning. Before working in City Hall, Ms. Richardson was a senior spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York and a field producer and off-air reporter for ABC News. Ms. Richardson remains civically engaged by serving on the board of directors for the Frederick Douglass Boulevard Alliance and vice chair of the Arts and Culture Committee for Manhattan's Community Board No. 10 and as an active member of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Advisory Committee on Cultural Engagement. She frequently appears as a political commentator on television and radio and as a moderator panelist for conversations focused on diversity, equity, social justice, and police accountability. 
Ms. Richardson was named a New York City 40 Under 40 Rising Star by City and State Magazine in 2015. She was also selected in 2014 as a fellow for the Council of Urban Professionals, an organization that she continues to work with on diversity and leadership initiatives. Ms. Richardson is a member of the Tau Omega chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. She holds a JD from the University of Michigan Law School and a BA in English from Spelman College. Okay, Tease Me listeners, we are fortunate to have Jerrica L. Richardson. Jerrica, how did you start this fight for justice? How did you get into this work? Well, thank you so much, LaToya, for having me. It's great to be able to join you on this program. And I'm so glad that you have conversations that really focus on what's happening in the world, but also uplifting uh, golf. And I think golf really is... um, such a great way um, to connect with people, uh, to network, and to also discuss such important issues. Um, So really my four-way into justice work uh, happened when I was a freshman in college. I was 18 years old, and it was the 2000 general election, and I was encouraged to register to vote uh, along with so many of my classmates at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, to register locally instead of just voting absentee ballot from you know our states of origin. And um, I did that. I got really excited and started working with the NAACP there to register others to vote. Um, and then when it came to election day, I showed up to the polls and was told my name was not on the list. And the name of majority of my classmates that had registered along with me as well as others in the Atlanta University Center where I went to school, uh, students from Morehouse and Clark Atlanta University and Morris Brown. Just a number of students were uh, showed up to the polls and were ultimately disenfranchised that day. And so for me, it was a really powerful moment, a really uh, frustrating moment. We stayed at the polls, um, you know, calling everyone, calling elected officials, calling the Secretary of State, calling in the news media. And it seemed as if no one really came to our aid that day. And so being able to see people in the community that I had actually registered through the NAACP show up and have their names on the list um, and observing that there were some broken voting machines and just seeing all the issues that happened the day, but then going home at night and hearing about all these patriotic Georgians that were uh, uh, that uh, voted on election day, and there was nothing that night about this huge group of African-American students uh, who weren't able to exercise their right to vote. I think that situation was really powerful for me. And I think anyone that experiences uh, disenfranchisement um, can either be propelled by that experience to ensure it never happens to them or anyone else again, or they can be disheartened by it and ultimately just drop out of uh, the electoral process and civic engagement um, because of that negative experience. Um, But for me, it it definitely was the former. And so that's what really sparked my interest um, in civic engagement and social justice work. And for a college freshman that was just so um, torn between do I go to law school, do I go into journalism, you know, do I go into politics or government, that day made um, 
very clear for me that I didn't necessarily have to choose. I could pursue a career uh, that sat into, at the intersection of all three because they really work together. If no one tells your story, right? If you don't have the media and the press that highlights these issues that are happening in our community, then how do we galvanize people uh, to act? Uh, if you don't have a, a, a firm understanding of the law uh, and uh, the legal process, the electoral process, and if you don't have the relationships and um, really power to influence government, you could just fly under the radar and not really get the type of um, support uh, and change you want to see happen. So that's why I found myself in this career. I know it's a long way of explaining that, but um, you know, it, it was being it was teenage Jerrica really being frustrated and being told she was not allowed to participate in this process, um, that, that's what I left with. And I just wanted to make sure no one else felt that experience again. And that's what kind of launched me in pursuing a career in justice. Wow, thank you for sharing that, Jerrica. And you know what the challenge I'm hearing is still Georgia and voting. Like, how is this still a problem? I mean, for everyone listening, I know that you're probably wondering, well, I wonder, like, what can I individually do? But just to share fact, it can be very dis, um, disencouraging, like, just discouraging when you think about what's still happening in Georgia. And so, you know, people have been constantly fighting. What do you tell people that don't believe that change is possible? Well, I tell people all you have to do is look at this past general election uh, in 2020 and change is absolutely possible. What we saw in this last electoral cycle is we saw record turnout that we hadn't seen for ages. And if we take a look at all the different groups uh, and in different communities throughout the US, we had record turnout in the African-American community. We had ref record turnout in the Asian-American community. We had record turnout in the uh, Latinx community. And, and we also had record turnout in the Native American community. And that often doesn't get lifted up as much. Um, and I think why, why highlighting this is important and why, why it's important to recognize the change that has happened because it wasn't very long ago where members of these groups um, were still fighting and really struggling just to have access to the ballot. And, and so that turnout is reflective of how hard we've all worked and how far we've come and how there is more engagement in the democratic process for all Americans, not just uh, white Americans. Um, but at the same time, we recognize that while progress has been made, there is still going to be an element of society that doesn't really want there to be equal and fair and free access to the ballot. And so in reaction to that um, record turnout that we saw in 2020 um, and in the Georgia runoff for that matter, where we saw a state flip uh, from red to blue, um, the other thing that we really have to look at are all of these attempts across the country to suppress voting and to actually, um, uh, I mean, there are, if you, you name it, it's hard, we're hard pressed to find a state where there are not um, measures and legislation that have been put forth, put forth to now limit early voting, end early voting, limit access, uh, easier access to the polls for the disabled community, um, 
limit things like get passing out water while folks are in line in some of these southern states and some of these really warm states. Can you imagine when we have record turnout? That means people are online for hours and that you could be penalized uh, and lose your access to the ballot for handing out water. I mean, or receiving water. I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty ridiculous at this point. But that's what we're faced with. And so we really have to um, focus on the national level to push for passage of the John, uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act um, and uh, the For the People Act that will also restore voting rights to folks that have been incarcerated. I mean, it really differs state by state, whether even if you have served um, your time and have been returned to the community, there are some people that, you know, unfortunately in their lifetime will never ever be able to be a full participant in the democracy. And so we must, uh, and that's part of what my team does at the National Urban League. Um, I'm Senior Vice President for Equitable Justice and Strategic Initiatives. We fight on the national level, but we also fight on the local level, um, engage in litigation, but also public education and advocacy. We just want every American, irrespective of your political leanings, irrespective of what party uh, you might identify with, the point is democracy is for all of us. And I think we all need to work very hard to make sure everyone has equal access to the ballot box. Well, thank you for sharing that. This is a, a perfect segue because as you speak about the work that you're doing with the Urban League, people that are listening may not be even familiar with the National Urban League and its historic place in society. Can you just share like what brought you to the Urban League and what is the overall mission of the Urban League? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, the National Urban League is one of the oldest civil rights organizations in the country. Uh, and it was really established um, in the early 1900s as a result of the Great Migration. You had um, uh, folks from the South, uh, primarily African-Americans um, that were fleeing, fleeing um, Black Codes, Jim Crow, the KKK, uh, and also just looking for better opportunities in the North, um, more jobs, uh, access, better access to education. Um, and sadly, what they found is that in many instances, the North isn't that different than the South. Uh, and so they came to these, some of these urban centers and struggled to find adequate housing, um, really to get their kids enrolled in educational programs, to find jobs. Um, and they also experienced racism uh, and discrimination up here. So the National Urban League was really established uh, to help um, folks that were really pursuing more opportunity um, and help them with housing and education and economics, all the things that we know are vital to a successful uh, and happy and healthy life. Uh, and now the National Urban League, we're not only in urban centers in the North, the National Urban League has over 90 uh, affiliates across the country. Uh, we're in uh, most major cities, we're in the suburbs and we're in rural communities. And our work, justice has always been one of the pillars of our work and civil rights. Um, but we look, we fight for economic justice. We fight for justice in education, in jobs, uh, in housing, and in civil and voting rights, just like we talked about. And so I found my way to the league. I actually had the opportunity to participate and attend some conferences 
throughout my career and just was very drawn and really impressed by the work that they did. Um, but the National Urban League um, really came to me and reached out during the height of 2020 and uh, shortly after the death of George Floyd. I'd actually been working in city government in New York City and worked for the nation's largest independent civilian oversight, uh, uh, police oversight body, all run by civilians. Um, and we've been doing a lot of work on investigating and prosecuting officers for police misconduct. And the work that we were doing here in New York, um, we recognized, um, and I think the league recognized that there was uh, a need to have a department solely focused to all the issues relevant to justice and policing and lack of police accountability was one of them. And so that's why they reached out to me and it's an amazing opportunity to take uh, a lot of the work that we were doing here on the ground in New York and, and all that we did to push for the family of Eric Garner and get justice for them by getting the officer uh, um, uh, responsible for his death, Daniel Pantaleo fired from the force and being able to do that on a national level. Um, and so, I mean, I had the fortune to be in a space where I saw years where there was um, an inability to really get some justice in the criminal courts for so many of these cases. And then fast forward to 2021 and now being at the National Urban League and being able to be on the ground with the family of George Floyd when the verdict came in and actually hearing um, the officer uh, was convicted in the case. And it, I mean, it's just a full circle moment. So anytime anyone says things are not gonna change or they're not gonna get any better, stories like that are proof that if we keep pressing and that we keep pushing on, that we all can get to a point oh, eventually where we see more justice for our communities. Oh, that is, that's a, that's a, look, you've carried a heavy weight on behalf of a lot of people and a lot of families are dependent on the work that you're doing. And I think that like when people listen to the stories, they don't feel like they're part of the change. They don't necessarily know how they can contribute or how they can help and support someone like yourself who's doing that in this role or just someone in general that is experiencing this um, discrimination or maybe someone in their family has suffered. And it's not to demonize all police, but really look at the the, the bad actors and the offenders who whose behavior really just negates everything positive. And so when you think about people in the community, people in society, people that call themselves allies, I prefer the word advocate because I want you to fight and advocate. Um, what can they do to, to support or help to push the needle forward? Well, I believe we all have a role to play in um, combating injustice, whether it be racial, social, religious, what have you. Um, I think the first, first and foremost, we all have a responsibility to educate ourselves, to read, to watch the news, to delve and have conversations about issues that maybe we only have a cursory understanding of. Um, but the more educated our society becomes about the history in this country, about the history of racism and discrimination, um, both the positive things that America has done, but also the negative, it's the only way that we're really able to move forward. So first and foremost, it's education um, and asking questions, right? We should never be afraid to ask questions. I'm, I'm going to be 
a perpetual student for the rest of my life, whether I'm getting a degree or not, it, it's all about engaging. And, and Latoya, I really commend you for hosting uh, and creating this platform for to have all different conversations about so many of the issues of our day, because it is a great way uh, to get educate ourselves, educate others, and really hear from individuals about their experiences. And I think the other thing to remember is that we all have a role to play, no matter what you do in life. If you are an everyday citizen, if you are an attorney, uh, if you are a corporate executive, um, if you are a business owner, there is something that we all can do to advance equity and justice in this, this country, treating people fairly, giving people opportunities, speaking up when something inappropriate is done. Like it's really important for us to be upstanders for, uh, for others, right? At some point or another, everyone is going to be attacked or discriminated against or feel like they've been treated unfairly. And it's also for those around us. It's not just the responsibility of the person experiencing that microaggression or whatever it may be. It's a responsibility of those around them to stand up and say, enough is enough, this is inappropriate. Uh, and so I think that's one of the things that we've seen um, when we look at corporate America is there really has been, I think this movement um, to really focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, um, but to go beyond the surface of just having a conversation about it and doing some PR from time to time. The question is, where do you invest your money? Do you invest your money in organizations that are on the ground that are doing the work, right? Are, are, is it more than just a hashtag? Or how are you, are you looking internally about at some of your own practices and really scrutinizing what you could be doing differently? Are you talking to uh, your staffers and your uh, clients and other folks from various backgrounds, whether they be of color, whether they be of um, other underrepresented groups like the LGBTQ community? Are you talking, I mean, who are you having these conversations with and what are you doing to make change and make difference where you are? So it's a collective responsibility. We can't get there if it's just a few people out there on the bullhorn, um, you know, uh, marching and, 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 and really engaging in activism, that is crucially important, but it's not the only piece of the puzzle. We really have to take all of this protest that we saw and all the inequities that were really exposed by this pandemic of COVID-19 and take that protest to the polls and make sure that there is adequate representation for every individual in this country and then take that power that we've gained at the polls and really turning it to, into policy so that we can have meaningful reforms that really reflect the diversity, um, the ideas, and the humanity of all people here in, in the United States and, and quite frankly beyond. So I can honestly say that I am guilty of being a person that said, I'm not really into politics. I don't really follow politics. I don't quite understand it. I can I can confess here because I've you know been surrounded by amazing people that have educated on the error of my ways. But there are a lot more people like me that just feel like for every policy written, someone else is coming behind them to try to unwrite it or undo it. And people really feel like they're tied, they, they, they don't really have the power. If I'm the janitor in a building, I just wanna make sure that you're gonna open that building during COVID. I'm, I don't, all of those things seem abstract and far from me as you know, as a person that might be in this in a particular space. And so what do you say to that person that 
just feels like the world is happening or things are happening to them? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it will definitely feel like things are happening to you if you don't get involved in the process. I think sometimes when people think about politics and have an aversion to it, they're thinking about politics um, on the very global level or the national level, and they're thinking about presidential elections. But fundamentally, some of the most important um, elections that one should educate themselves on and participate in are on the state and local level. I mean, I live in Harlem, and I think one of the conversations that people bring up all the time is not feeling as if there's the same level of attention paid to trash pickup. That seems really minor, but the people that actually can impact that and actually have a decision-making authority in that are the folks that work in the municipal level, work in municipal government on the state and local level. And we actually have the ability to hire these people, right? We are the ones putting folks in office. And if we are frustrated with some of Um, the quality of life issues um, or the education system or whatever it may be, we have a responsibility to engage. We have a responsibility to act. We have a responsibility to educate ourselves on the stances, right? Because what is happening around us is a direct impact of our engagement or lack thereof. Um, And so if there are things that you want done or things that you just expect, you expect clean streets, you expect clean buildings, you have the ability to control that process. Uh, And so that's, I guess that was, is what I would respond to folks that don't like politics. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. Sometimes it can be a little bit messy, but it will never be, uh, and you'll never have the world or the community that you really want if you don't um, get involved and push to make it so. I, it's so funny you bring up the trash in the streets because I remember we were walking down the street and it, there wasn't a lot of trash, but there was enough. And the fact that we had to cross the street because no one wanted to fight against the rats that were there, but that were presently there and they did not care that we were walking up the street. So <laughs> the rats do not care. They do don't. Not. They do not care. <laughs> um, but okay, segueing into something different, a different topic. So it's June and Juneteenth, and and there's also a primary election in New York. So when I think about Juneteenth and I think about the fact that we've come very far with the celebration and the acknowledgement of this holiday, growing up, it was never taught. So when you think about like the other work that the Urban League is doing, what can you tell us about Juneteenth? Well, it's funny that you asked that. I will be very busy the week of Juneteenth. Um, I will be speaking about freedom and about Juneteenth and the history of it uh, to a corporation. And then I'll also be serving as a keynote speaker uh, for the NAACP of Indiana County um, and talking about Juneteenth. Um, There is a great book called Juneteenth that actually was just released uh, by Annette uh, Gordon. And um, it really talks about the history and and you you hit the nail on the head. Uh, There are so many folks that live in this country that don't even know about Juneteenth, uh, and they are folks of color as well. Uh, it's something that I think has really started to come into um, the national discussion more recently. Um, but what it reveals is when uh, when we talk about our history in this country, there oftentimes has been a whitewashing of that history. So everyone, every American, anyone that resides in the U.S. 
knows about the 4th of July, and that is seen as Independence Day um, for many of Americans. Uh, but for people of color, particularly African-Americans, Juneteenth was the, the day uh, when um, uh, the, conf uh, the Union Army came into Texas, who was still uh, fighting uh, the Civil War, even though war the war was over pretty much in other states. And, and so it was um, the Union Army coming in and decreeing and informing uh, the African-Americans that had been enslaved in Texas that they were now free. And so that was far beyond, uh, you know, um, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, all that we know, we associate Lincoln freeing the slaves, right? Um, slaves were not free everywhere. And so that, though, that was the last segment of our population, the segment of our society that got word that they were now free. And it was months after the fact. So Juneteenth has been celebrated probably in the African-American communities, specifically in Texas for generations and generations and in some other places too, but it is really now just coming to the forefront. And it really is tied to telling the truth, telling the history of this country. There is a lot that we really need to take a look at. Uh, just last week, we were uh, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, right? This was, this was an atrocity, probably one of the largest atrocities that ever happened on American soil to American people. Um, but it wasn't talked about, it wasn't acknowledged. And so I think that is the, the space that we're in right now. Uh, that's where we see ourselves in 2021. There's a movement in Congress around truth and reconciliation. And when we're talking about healing America, and getting past the divide and really bringing people together for a more inclusive, better future, the first thing that you have to do is tell the truth. And so this is a history learning um, uh, holiday and celebration, but just a history learning era that we are all in right now. And the more we know about our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the more we can um, move towards a space that is more equitable and just. Oh, the truth. People don't really like those words, um, but the truth sets us free. It also can uh, allow us to make change. And when I think about the truth, I think about golf. When mm -hmm. I think about <laughs> golf, I think about, you know, the opportunity people have to to bridge gaps in, in other conversations. So, you know, obviously this podcast is about the intersection of golf, life, business, and all things. Tell me, Jerrica, you, you've dabbled in a little bit of golf. Tell me, how did you, or what made you embark on that journey to begin with? Um, I think I've always been interested in it. It wasn't really until I was um, kind of working in government and ran across some friends that were avid golfers. Um, and mind you, um, at the time I was working for a democratic mayor and the friends that I came into contact with and was debating with were actually, um, very well, um, uh, well revered in the Republican Party. So what I really found lovely and exciting about golf is it gave us an opportunity to correct, connect. Um, they were able to expose me to the game, introduce me to lessons, for us to have all these exciting debates um, out on the course. Um, and I recognized um, in that space, I was able to make really, really meaningful connections and relationships that actually helped me be able to advance 
and push policy um, here in New York City. And so I think golf is, is one of um, those games that um, the pace may change from time to time um, and you will encounter folks with all different skill sets. Um, but it's just a great way to be outdoors. It's a great way to experience life, experience nature. The challenges you face on that course are the similar to the challenges you'll face in life. And I think how you comport yourself on the golf course says a lot about how you'll comport yourself um, in the real world. So golf was, I think, a game changer for me professionally and personally. It gave me a place um, to be in a space to be where I felt just really peaceful and in tune with who I am and the folks around me and nature and what was going on. But it also demonstrated for me problem solving, right? <laughs> you're, you're getting on the ground, you're looking at the way the grass bends. Um, you're trying to figure out how to get this ball in this hole. You know, you're looking, you're like, how far is the distance? I mean, if anyone struggles with problem solving, I would encourage them to engage in golf. It's probably one of the greatest uh, tools and, and teachers in that area um, that one can encounter. And I've just found it to be um, a phenomenal, phenomenal sport. I'm still working on my game, um, but I really love it. You know, I've got your back on working on your game. Don't worry about that part. I know you're, I've you're got covered. my coaching you, Latoya. <laughs> you're covered. <laughs> but you know, when I when I think about that and that opportunity that you had, there are a lot of people that miss out on that. So when you think about like politics and you think about the people that are playing that aren't playing, like our our former, the former, you know, leader of the free world was playing golf all the time. And mm -hmm you know, playing often and a very dishonest person. So when you talk about what's happening in politics Well, there are many golf, former leaders. Let me stop oh, you. Oh, there oh, are okay. many former leaders that golf. So we have to be- Oh, we have to be clear. Really, okay, what if I said he who shall uh, not- President Obama golfs. We could talk about him in a second, but when I say he who shall not be named on said podcast. Okay. Okay. All right. We, we know what you're- We're there. Okay. Come with me. Stay with me. Got it. But when we talk about golf, there's a tale of two cities. When you, you think about politics and people being out there, what other things were you seeing or would you say encourages politicians to play golf or why they should? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important for um, politicians that can and really have the desire to, to play golf um, because it's a great way to meet people, meet them where they are without all the extra baggage and the pomp and the circumstances and just really get to know someone for who they are as a human being, right? You're playing this shared game, you're in this shared space. Um, you have a lot of time on that course, right? To engage in dialogue and get to know the people around you beyond the surface and, and the resume things that I think sometimes people can get caught up in. Um, I mean, when I'm out in the golf course, I'm talking to people about their families, about their upbringing, about what food they like, um, and political issues too. Um, so I think it's a great way to get to know people and to connect with them on a really human level. And sometimes we, we're not able to do that when we're in the boardroom, right? Or uh, in these other hyper professional spaces. I think golf is really great at being able to connect everyday people, people that are really see themselves as very, very, very professional uh, in a really personal way um, through recreation. I love it, I love it. Um, if you had to give me one of your favorite golf stories, which one would, would it be? 
Oh, wow. Um, I will say there are so many, so it is really hard. Um, but I think maybe my favorite is just experiencing golf in the rain. Never did it before. Uh, always was like very, very clear about looking at the weather and making sure well in advance of whatever tea time we chose, we were going to be dry. Um, well, I had the opportunity to um, uh, support uh, a fundraiser for 100 Black men uh, and support a friend, a friend that we all have in common, uh, Aldrin Ennis, and the work that they were doing. And, you know, the date was made months in advance. And, you know, I have to come out and support 100 Black men for the amazing work that they do in our community and what they're doing for our children and the scholarships that they're really putting together just to give people opportunity. But ultimately, it was pouring on that day. And I had the option to maybe just go in and make it a spa day, but I decided to, you know, get myself together and ride through this rain and, and really play golf in the rain. And it was messy. It was a little dirty, um, but it was really, really fun. And, you know, it, it was a 100 Black men event. So I definitely, as a woman in golf, and Latoya, I know you know this, uh, sometimes we're not as well represented as men are in the game. And so I didn't want to feed into the narrative and go enjoy a spa day. I was going to ensure uh, and let them know that girls, that women, uh, that we can do it too, whether it's messy or dirty or whatever. Uh, so it, that was really fun. Um, and I think probably very, very memorable. I don't think I've played in the ring since, um, but it's, it's there, there's proof, there's pictures. <laughs> I looked a little wet, but it was, it was really a great experience. Look, there is no concern or question about you being um, up for the fight, like fierce and, <laughs> and always ready for a good fight. Uh, we already know that about you. <laughs> so, okay, we're going to pivot back to just some other work that the Urban League is doing. So this season um, of Tease Me is called Gems. And we're really focused on ensuring that the audience listening feels like they know you and they have uh, wisdom and advice coming from a friend. And so as we talk through just some of the things that you've shared, people can literally action on their own. But if you're thinking about, if you're a person that's just observing, okay, Urban League, organization, now what? What do I do? Do I read information? Do I go to meetings? Like what? What does a, the average person do um, to support or just be engaged with the Urban League? I mean, there's a number of ways to engage with the National Urban League and also the Urban Leagues in your area. Like I said, there are 90 affiliates across the country. Um, so you can go to NUL.org, which is the National Urban League's website, and you can uh, specifically look up your state, your region, and identify where there is a, an Urban League um, affiliate uh, in your community. Um, and there's a number of ways to engage, a number of ways is to you donate to the work, right? Understanding if you understand the mission and really respect the mission and the work that we're doing in the community, um, uh, everything from educational programs, job uh, readiness, job employment programs, helping returning citizens find jobs, um, new, or there's so many of us uh, that are trying to be new homeowners. They really give you the tools um, to pursue that. Um, you name it, pretty much the National Urban League has it. And so I would encourage folks to go to NUL.org um, to engage with the National Urban League uh, and also engage with the Urban League affiliate in their community. 
Um, membership is really easy. I mean, everything is electronic nowadays. Um, uh, Urban League obviously met in person and will meet in person, but it's even easier, I think, to get plugged in now because you can engage and participate in meetings. You can join a committee. Uh, you can volunteer um, on a whole various set of issues, but you can do all of that online. Um, you can reach out online. So I encourage folks um, to do that. And then I also think um, a great way to engage with the, the National Urban League and to learn about our work and what we're doing um, and about any campaigns that we might be working on that you might be interested in or any public education uh, is to uh, follow us on uh, social media. So Nat Urban League, uh, at Nat Urban, <laughs> at Nat Urban League on Twitter, on, um, on uh, Instagram, I actually just started hosting a show called Justice Now that appears every other Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern on the National Urban League's Instagram site. They let me, for some reason, take it over and get to have all these exciting conversations about all these issues of the day. Um, that's another way to engage. And we're also on Facebook. Um, and our CEO and President Mark Morial, who is the former mayor of New Orleans, um, really leads the organization and hosts a whole slew of events. We have our legislative um, policy conference that is actually coming up next week. Um, but uh, Latoya, I will definitely be happy to share links to all this information with you um, and your listeners. But there are many ways to engage with the Urban League, but the easiest way is really just to reach out to us online. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, so I have one final question for you. How do you keep yourself relaxed and at peace? Because you have taken on a number of heart-led projects, but that come with a lot of stress, whether it's defending the family of Eric Gardner, um, just in general, the CCRB Civilian Complaint Review Board for the NYPD, and this role that you're in right now to advocate for justice. How do you keep yourself at peace? Well, I have to be honest, sometimes it is a bit of a struggle. There's a lot going on. But one of the things that I impress upon my team and my staff and something that I have to constantly remind myself is um, that self-care is important um, and doing things that you find enjoyable, doing things that relax you, whether that's reading or engaging in recreational activities. That's really what it is for me. Reading um, when I can, when it has nothing to do with work and just reading for my own education. Um, and then being on the golf course that there's just that period time. Sometimes the cell service isn't great. So that's also helpful to be able uh, to decompress and just really enjoy um, the sport and enjoy time with friends um, is another way to do it. But, you know, these are traumatic times that we're living in. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, I think we're turning the corner on the pandemic and COVID-19, but I hope one thing that we've all learned from 2020 and 2021 is this experience that we can't help each other, we can't support each other unless we also focus on taking care of ourselves, mind, body, spirit, all of that. And so self-care to me was one of the lessons of 2020. Um, and I hope it's something that we will all uh, remember and carry through moving forward. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jarika, for joining us on this episode of Tease Me. Is there any last words you want to leave with the audience? 
Well, I um, it's not necessarily for the audience. Um, I will say that it is so great to be having this conversation with you, my soar. Um, and I'm just really so impressed. 2020 has uh, taught us all a lot. 2021, I think um, there's just great things happening. Um, but I was just so pleased just from uh, a human standpoint to be able to see someone that looked like you and I, Latoya, ascend to one of the highest offices in the land. And so I know you as were as thrilled as I was to see um, Kamala Harris become our first um, African-American, Asian-American uh, woman vice president. There are so many different communities um, that we're so excited and are represented in her. And so um, just, just really happy and just so happy to see so many AKAs, members of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated doing amazing things. And I know you are doing your thing in corporate America and on the golf course and you're bridging the gap and really connecting folks and really educating them about this amazing sport. So I wanted to say thank you, Soar, um, for all that you do uh, and just leading as we see our Soar Kamala Harris doing right now. And there you have it, folks, our conversation with Jerrica L. Richardson. And she is totally quotable. I mean, we were looking for a gem and she's dropped an entire, what is it, gold mine, land mine, diamond mine, a mine full of gems. I mean, if you're going to put her quotes on a t-shirt, though, please give her credit and any kind of royalties that go with that, please do that. Jerrica is the embodiment of a personable individual that does extremely difficult work and still can show up with an energy and perspective that is enlightening. When you meet people, like in all seriousness, we think about certain roles and characteristics of individuals in leadership, and they don't seem relatable. I wanted to show you today that people can be relatable. You can show up as your authentic self and be impactful and make tremendous amounts of change. And, and, and on a very serious note, when we're looking at Juneteenth and that becoming a holiday and it being recognized, let us also look at the policies that don't allow people to vote. So thank you, Jerrica, for joining us today and for sharing so many gems of wisdom. My favorite, we all have a role to play in combating injustice. Another, democracy is for all of us. And my absolute favorite, we all have a responsibility to educate ourselves. Jerrica also reminded us of the importance of self-care. It is critical that you find peace, especially if you're experiencing stress, especially if you're even watching the news. She finds peace by reading. I find peace on the golf course. I challenge you to identify and find out how you can experience peace. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Tease Me.